Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderveld, your host today. Welcome everyone, my name is Jackie Vanderveld and it's my great pleasure to be hosting this evening with Maggie Dent uh, for the Victorian Parents Council's VPC Live. Um, This is one of several events that we have across the year uh, and uh, if you want to know more about what we do, please have a look at the social media for Victorian Parents Council and register for any upcoming events that we put up there as well. So let's introduce this wonderful lady who really doesn't need an introduction because Maggie, we've had lots of chats. (laughs) But Maggie is an author, educator, parenting and resilience specialist with a particular interest in the early years and adolescence. And she's known as the uh, the queen of common sense and I love this also undisputed boy champion. And I love reading your posts, Maggie, where you're where you're promoting our boys and, and being that cheer squad for our for our lads. And today or tonight, we're talking about play and how important that is. So welcome, Maggie. How are you? I'm really good, Jackie. And a very warm hello to everyone who's jumping on and whoever watches this a little bit later because you know we continue to live in this crazy, uncertain world, don't we? And if there's one thing that can help with feeling stressed in a pandemic. It is play, not just for our kids, but for ourselves. And I know um, over the weekend, I got a little bit crabby with some events that were happening. Um, So I got my basketball out and went up to the backboard and uh, spent 20 minutes pretending I was 17 again. Um, You know, and I came back in a much better frame of mind. Um, Yeah, and I, I can still pop them in. Yeah. Oh, good on you. Well done. And so just as people are coming in, if you've got a question, uh, please pop that in the Q&A. We will get to it. Uh, or in the chat, you're very welcome to chat as well. And we've got lots of hello, good on you, Maggie's. Hello, Maggie, coming up in the chat, which is really nice. Um, look, I have to say too, you know, like last week we had, uh, you know, we're all doing, you know, the learning from home and I was sitting out in the garden. I did actually have my my uh, my laptop with me and I was working, but I was acutely aware of all the little games that were going on in the yards around us and there were parents out there too. So I don't think there was a whole lot of learning going on on Friday around me. Although um, that's debatable because play <laughs> is learning and that's one of the biggest things we've got to deconstruct because we still think, I think, and I think it's probably because of the um, the increase of testing, um, particularly national testing and things like that. We've kind of made it that the fact your kids need to be smart is more important than them being a whole child who has, you know, is able to have social and emotional intelligence. So what's actually happening in play, I can guarantee every single time that they're playing in something, there is learning going on it's just learning you can't take a test to see how it's going well they were having a hell of a lot of fun Maggie that uh, and that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> there was lots of squeals of delight and uh, lots of chasings and yeah. other games going on so I think you know I think parents are taking a very reasonable approach to all of this which is which is fantastic so let's get down to it Okay, play is actually really serious business for our kids. So what do you mean by that? I know you've caught, that's your quote. So let's (laughs) let's roll with that one. (laughs) All right. So it's really interesting because um, obviously when I, um, you know, had my four boys, I actually didn't know much about early childhood development at all. (laughs) I just kind of bumbled along. 
followed my sister and my girlfriends. Um, and so really, I can remember my boys being hardly for hardly ever inside the house. And you've got to remember the only screens we had available to us really was a TV that had half an hour of play school. I think you could also get Sesame Street, but we were in the country, so I don't think we could get it. So really, the only option was, you know, something else that wasn't screen-based. And they, they were very much because I'm a farm kid. Our childhood was really, you were outside. Come on, outside, outside, off you go. So I guess I kind of had that embedded into me. What I didn't know, Jackie, was that those incredibly um, deep and rich play experiences that my boys were having without me hovering, which is kind of what we call the adult's gaze, um, without that, then there is enormous amounts of things that happen in terms of building capacity and resilience and negotiation and skill building that is coming from a biologically driven place of learning. And one of the key gifts that you'll find doesn't happen as much today is multi-age play. So what tends to happen now is parents take great responsibility and they do do it with great love that they feel responsible, they've got to teach their children, you know, all these social skills and how to manage their emotions and all of these things, where in actual fact, older children have always been great teachers because kids are drawn to watch older children. So when they play in a, in a play, um, you know, space um, that is fairly unstructured and not driven by growing ups, all of that stuff happens quite naturally. So that's the first key aspect that we're building social and emotional intelligence through interactions with real children, not virtual ones. And then the second biggie, I suppose, is what happens with our physicality. Um, and our physicality is we need to have a lot of movement for our brain to work out where our body finishes, which is kind of what we call proprioceptive awareness. And if you've, you know, anyone who's got little ones sort of anywhere from 18 months of age to three, they can look like they're really clumsy, bump into things and forever bumping their head and they've got bruises and you think, oh, what's going on? Every time they're doing that, they're actually building an awareness of where the body finishes so they can do it automatically later. Yeah. So we're now hearing of five-year-olds who walk around in a, in a classroom holding the edge of the desk because they don't know where their body finishes. So you see, play just takes care of that. Play takes care of vestibular and, and that's that kind of balancing, but a bit bigger than that, sensory processing in the brain. And it needs massive sensory input to become efficient. And then the last thing is why it's so important is it's to do with neuroscience. It's to do with how do I discharge big, ugly frustrations with parents who don't let me have, you know, a biscuit before dinner or they gave me the wrong colour cup. How do I discharge big, ugly feelings because I don't have a prefrontal cortex and I'm only a child? Well, running around in vigorous play, turning to play, that exactly fixes it. So when you put all that together, you can start to get a sense of exactly why play is so incredibly important. Well, I must have been a slow learner because I think I'm like 100% scar tissue from my <laughs> knees down. I was always running into stuff and, you know, scrapes and bruises. I think I was always had a scab somewhere on my knees for sure. It's really interesting you say that about the spatial awareness because one thing was, you know, in a previous life, I had a, was a, have been a teacher and, and that whole spatial awareness was I could see that declining and their inability to think abstractly. Uh, and it was interesting that the, the students who were 
uh, more athletic, involved in sport, uh, you know, they did, they could get that. They, they understood distance. They were able to um, make guesstimates on things, um, whereas it was really obvious, you know, over a number of years that that was, and I'm thinking, gosh, a number of years, I've been doing that for a long time. But it was really, but you could actually see those skills not as evident with, with young people as they were coming through. And I was dealing with them in high school. Yeah, so, yeah. And I also, one of the other things about that at, um, um, this, the, the sensory um, receptors in our brain need massive bombardment. And so there are times they're meant to know, you know, that you're absolutely drowned in a, in a rainfall. Um, because we've got children somewhere now that are terrified of raindrops because they've never been on their head. Um, they're frightened of, you know, puddles and things instead of being immersed and can't wait to get in them. And, I, and um, so that sort of thing is because we're trying to protect them from discomfort. Um, we don't want them to get a cold and I just need to do the heads up. You get a cold from a virus, not cold water. Um, and that also you are being judged quite often if your child is the messy child covered in mud. So, you know, you've got to be a brave parent today to recognise that I'm going to let my kid be a little bit feral and get down and get wet and get dirty at times. I want them to celebrate those things because, you know, being able to jump into a big wet puddle and be wet and be a bit shivery for a while helps to build a child's sense of bravery and courage in our world. And we know we've had a drop in resilience. We know we've had a drop in fine and gross motor skills. We know we've had a drop in children's capacity to play or initiate play with other children. We know we've had a drop in oral vocabulary. And, and on top of that, we've had a drop in self-regulation. And I'm going to link that all back to an absence of enough priority for play. And it's all coming from a few different reasons, oh, Jackie. So I don't want parents to feel guilty about this, but we're conditioning our parents today to think that the world is incredibly unsafe and it's only safe in your house and in your yard. And in your that's why you want them on the couch rather than with neighbourhood children. But we can build neighbourhood safety with neighbourhood children. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We, you know, a group of children is incredibly safe. We do know that from the research that... Um, sexual predators and, and things like that actually are looking for solo children. Yeah, yeah they're not, there's a group, that's not going to give, so you, once again, we need to talk about the times and ages that it seemed to be okay. When we, um, you know, and, and Lenore Skenazy, I've done some work with her over the past, and you'll know that she's sort of one about, you know, what we were doing to our children. She let her 10-year-old go on a subway because he wanted to. Now, she prepared him, she taught him, she, she didn't just throw him on the subway. Um, and, you know, she was arrested. Um, so what we did then was we made too much of a responsibility that our children are completely incapable of managing to learn how to, you know, navigate risky situations or tricky things. And that's when we ripped out all the playground, all the, you know, kind of old stuff, big metal slides, um, the, the little monkey bars. Yep, the big long monkey bars, not the short That's ones. Right. Wooden seesaw, and there was we had this thing that you'd spin around with lots of rings on, which did have a tendency to knock out teeth. Um, we took them away in order to keep children safe, but what we didn't realise was that children are innately wired to stretch themselves to be a little bit braver each time they come across a piece of equipment, and that. You know, one of the greatest ways to learn resilience is with a 3.5 metre monkey bar because no child can achieve it 
for ages. In other words, you have to persist and develop what we call grit nowadays. It's a very trendy word um, because your hands can't hold on that long and your shoulders aren't strong enough. So to develop that capacity, you have to do it over and over and over again. Now, if we do not have a parent there about to give them a trophy or a sticker, which definitely didn't happen. No, it did not. What, what is it that motivates kids? And this is one of our biggest challenges, Jackie, is that we actually are not building an inner locus of control for children where it's inner motivation. And we're giving far too many um, certificates and prizes and stickers and trophies which are actually demotivating our kids to want to stretch themselves and grow. Because the reason you want to conquer a long monkey bar could be one of a few reasons. One, one of your siblings can do it. That's motivating enough, especially if you've got an annoying little brother like I did. Number two, um, there's somebody you don't like. (laughs) And you want to be able to do it better than them. And then the last one, which is the biggest motivator, is a child younger than you who can do it. So you can see why in a a community playground, kids are watching all the time and all of a sudden they get that urge. And that's the urge that the equipment allows them to go to. And, yes, it does hurt. And there are times you're going to fail. And failing over and over again um, is actually not a bad thing because you learn that you can manage failure so one of the greatest gifts I think really with play and and, it, and it's the same with card games and monopoly and all that the games where the real person is present is that we learn how to lose yeah. and we need to know that that doesn't make us bad silly dumb or useless it's life turns up like that yeah. and so I think it's what we call emotional buoyancy that play can give you that gift of doesn't mean to say it's pleasant the first few times you do it And we need to acknowledge, too, that it sucks when we lose, too. So you know what I mean? It's harder the next time. Exactly. (laughs) And so what we're teaching them is that it's about us continuing on going and those sorts of things in a play context, um, you know, and I, you know, I do a lot of, I've got grandchildren now, um, and playing even snap, you know, with cards. Um, Gosh. You know, after a few times when my four-and-a-half-year-old was beating me, you know, part of me was getting a bit poopy um, and I'm a mature human. So we need to acknowledge those things are a part of our life journey, but we shouldn't have to have a lesson in school on social-emotional learning to teach you how to lose when what Mother Nature intended all along was children together will experience those things. And if they've got parents who are keen to jump in and do some of that learning as well, then tick, tick. Tick, you don't need a test. You can gradually see your child adapt to adverse situations, which is the classic definition of what resilience is. And it's a really critical part of socialisation. So, you, oh, I mean, you know, I often say to people, you know, you are actually quite a different person with different groups of people, slightly different, not, maybe not radically different because that would be perhaps a, uh, you know, a um, personality disorder. But, you know, but you do, you're different, you know, and you, you're different with your conversation and the words that you choose to have with, you know, with family, then with friends and then with work people and you might be a little bit more formal and so on. And that's such an important lesson for them to learn, to fit in, to learn how how to fit in with different groups is actually a good thing. Oh, absolutely. And so is sibling um, conflict and sibling rivalry in these situations. So one of the things that came out last year with all our lockdowns was every now and then we were having kind of two different versions coming and one was, oh, the siblings want to murder each other. Um, And I've had to basically 
create opportunities for them to get on. Like, you know, sometimes we just will have a movie or we'll go and cook pikelets um, and do something different. And before I know it, they're all great. But what was also happening for some is they actually had a chance to spend more time together without the friends around. And before they knew it, they had amazing new games going on that the, the siblings had never played before. So you can see again, one of the key aspects we've got to look at is how much time are we prioritizing as parents? And I'm gonna challenge as schools that allow play to be something that's valued. So we shrunk our recesses down, we've shrunk our lunch times down. And for some significant games, it takes time to set up. So if you haven't got time, especially if you're girls, because there's a lot of rules that girls like, whereas the boys are already into it, aren't they? They're just done, it's happening. Well, they play the rules as they go along. Totally. <laughs> and I think it's, yeah, they keep changing automatically. But what, so what we, you know, we're shrinking those opportunities. And we have parents now, both parents often work if you, you know, have two in a house. Or, and, and then we've, we've encouraged you to think that you need to schedule something every afternoon that's organised and structured. Well, mm. sometimes that can be too much. And where is the opportunity for our kids to actually do what I call autonomous play, where they create their own yeah. without a parent structuring it or without the coach structuring it? Because that's really, a, um, it links back to one of the neuroscience um, studies that uh, Dr. Margot Sunderland writes about. And she talks about the seeking mechanism that is within us, our children already. And that's your toddler who unravels toilet paper and shoves it down the toilet. Um, or, you know, they smear things. <laughs> you know, the, the face cream all over the dog and the carpet. That's the seeking mechanism. Now, it's really active, you know, in those toddler years. And we don't want to shut it down, even though we can guide them into where we can be quite so creative. Um, but if we shut that down by simply always giving you toys that only work one way or organising your game for you, it becomes weaker. It's like a muscle. So our most creative kids are the ones who can be completely autonomous in play. And it's a really interesting thing because um, I was it was obviously one of my resilience um, topics in, you know, play is a big part of that and I I, I was doing an awful lot of that for a while when I was kind of on the road. One of the things that came up was a, um, a woman came up to me afterwards and said, look, I'd nearly driven away and I've come back, Maggie, because I need to tell you something. She said, um, I work with eating disorders and I specialise in eating disorders and eating disorders used to happen from about 12 to 16. And, but we've noticed a shift over the last five years where it's coming down lower and lower. And she said, so much eating disorders isn't actually about food. It's oh. about not having any autonomy in their lives and that children don't have any opportunity to make those choices that they used to do through play. So it's having that control, being able to control. The only thing that they can make a choice around. And that nearly broke my heart. I actually had tears in my eyes when I realised how we've disrespected children's um, innate capacity to use play um, to be able to grow into a unique human being. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's our, and can I give an example about autonomous yes, play? Yes. I think this is gorgeous. So I'm a huge fan of um, allowing children to, you know, role play and pretend play. And I was up in um, Bundaberg and there was a fantastic um, teacher of four and five-year-olds. And um, she has always um, set up for two afternoons a week. She sets her classroom up and the kids choose what they're going to pretend to be. And she wanted me to visit. So I stepped in to visit. So one of the things that she had set up, so there was a bank. So the girl with the bank 
basically just had all sorts of um, bottle tops that she gave out as money. Um, there was a vet hospital with a receptionist and a vet. Then there was a fish and chip lady. And then there was a science lab. Anyway, so I've gone in the classroom and one of the kids came out and said, here's your dog and gave me a little dog on a rope and said, so you've got to go to the vet. And I said, oh, great. And I started to head over to the vet and he said, well, you'll need some money. So that's the bank. Like what sort of woman goes to a vet without money? Right. <laughs> and um, that, that girl said, you know, look, um, uh, so what's your name? So she pretended she was writing my name down and how much did I want? So in other words, there's meaning to the reason why I'm attempting to write, even though she couldn't yet write. She wasn't doing it. Got my money. I said, oh, how much do you think I'll need? And I said, is $20 enough? And he, she says, oh, no, no, he's more expensive than that. <laughs> anyway, I've gone over to the receptionist and I've said, I need to, because my dog's not very well. And she said, okay, you can see the vet, but you'll have to sit down and wait because he's busy. So I'm sitting in the waiting room, like all pretend. I could see the vet just over there. Um, and he wasn't busy, but that's okay. And next thing, she pretends the phone rings. And this is where, I, you know, it was just pure gold. Children copy what grown-ups say. So she's picked the phone up and she said, hello, yes, this is the vets. And she does the humming. Hmm. Oh, oh, that's not very good, is it? No, you will need to come in and put the phone down. Oh, and I said, oh, that doesn't sound good. And she said, no, it's an emergency. She hit a wallaby. And I said, oh, dear. And <laughs> where'd she drag that from? Like, where'd you drag no. anyway, um, Then the vet let me go in and, and he said, what's wrong with your dog? And I said, um, yeah, I think he's got an upset tummy because he's not eating. So we picked up his leg, said, no, broken leg. You'll have to come back in a week and stuck him in a cage. And as I walked out from the vets, you know, like I was just trying not to laugh. Seriously, Jackie. And then the girl from the fish and chip shop came over and she, they'd made all these containers and little bits in it. And she said, oh, here's your, here's your fish for today. Um, it's not barramundi because they didn't get any. And, <laughs> and, I, and now, listen, this is a class where there was quite a number of boys who usually we know that four and five-year-old boys can struggle in classroom environments. There was not a sound out of them because I was so immersed in the pretend Boy. role play. Um, and in the science lab, Oh my gosh, you know, they were just, they were absolutely in the zone. And there was this sort of like bone that I, I'm a sheep farmer's daughter. I knew it was a sheep, sheep bone. And I said, wow, it looks like a jaw. And he said, yes. And I said, where do you think that come from? He said, dinosaur. And I went, yeah, it's probably a pretty small, yeah, he said, very small dinosaur. And I just, Oh, how gorgeous. And that's when I realized, you know, it was beautiful for this fantastic educator who's an award winning educator. Yeah. to realise that you can learn without having to write endless words down or flashcards or do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know you exactly. Actually what create mean. the environment and allow the children to become um, the co-creators of that experience. And um, that, I re um, thank goodness for Bluey because that's exactly what Bluey's been doing, teaching parents, particularly dads, how important the imaginative play is for children to explore how their world exists Word. and making yeah. sense of it yeah i love it now maggie we've got a question okay yes. so uh so i'm going to i'm going to paraphrase it because it's a little bit long so the person who's posted it i hope i do you do you justice and i'm putting my glasses on so i absolutely get it right so we've got a, a, a parent whose uh, son's teacher is insisting that that the boy has behavioural issues, so ADHD, um, and squirms, fidgets, gets bored, etc. In the classroom, um, so the 
okay so pediatricians are kind of saying yes that that's that's the case and there's pills and so on for it but you know squirming and getting bored isn't that just being a kid oh look it's one of the most common things that comes up that teachers um, observe the behaviour that can be very similar to the behaviour for ADHD. Um, and that we've got to double check is that because the environment isn't allowing that boy the amount of movement that he needs to at that age. So I'm not yeah. sure how old he is, but we know four and five-year-old little boys are wired to keep moving. And then they are again around 14. And I used to teach that age group. And, and, you know, some days you'd look up and there'd be three boys walking around your room. You go, what are you doing, mate? And they go, just walking. Just, mm. We're just walking. So, so there's two things going on there. The first one is um, there are some school systems that allow much more movement and respect the need for move. Now, you know, they do brain breaks. They let children learn on the floor. They take them outside, let them out in the outside class. It's such a difference, um, a boy like that in an outside classroom. So there's lots of options, but if they're not creating or um, being open to those options, then your child, your boy is going to struggle in that environment the whole year. Now, our challenge is if he continually gets into trouble, yeah. yeah, then you're going to create a negative mindset in your son around learning, around school, around female teachers, around him being dumb. And that's the challenge because that's really hard to undo. We do know around eight, you know, that, that need sort of softens off a little. Um, so he, that's when girls and boys kind of match up a bit in terms of development and our boys' lights all come on if they haven't already come on. So can you see it's difficult if a boy suddenly kicks into his, um, you know, ability and he now has a mindset that's not allowing him to take the learning risks he needs to do. So, again, if it's a genuine ADHD, the medication will absolutely help his brain be more focused. Mm. However, if it's not ADHD and the boy just simply needs to move a lot more or the environment is too restrictive, he doesn't feel safe with the teacher because that relationship for little boys is another thing that influences that. Um, or he's decided that it, he just doesn't want to be there. Then all of those things are quite different factors to a, a boy who genuinely has the neurological condition ADHD. That's right. And so all I can say to, to that mum is uh, please be your be an advocate for your for your boy. Okay, you've really got to be you know in in there talking. And we're saying on one hand we've been saying parents back off and let them play, but in this yeah. case you really have to be their advocate because. And there are some beautiful things you know. There's fidget chairs and fidget things. You know they've got to be really um, able to advocate right. really strongly because you know changing a boy from a classroom you know, they won't move him into another one. I can tell you that now your only option is to move schools and that in itself creates an enormous amount of stress for everyone. So, it, you know, working with the school to see if they can meet those needs um, would be great. Good luck. That's right. Yeah, good luck. I mean, look, and I think just just hang in there and be, be his advocate because that our boys need that more than ever before. So we've got another one, Maggie. What are your thoughts on risk, risky play? And superheroes and imaginary play with pretend, with pretend weapons. Okay. Oh, this is one of my favourite topics. Okay. <clears throat> now, what we do know is that we, I prefer to call it adventuresome play 
because there is a bit of risk in it. And um, so it's about us being on adventures because that's actually about how, once again, they're imagining being something that's braver than they are. And that's a really good thing at times. Now, I'm, I'm trusting this is geared mainly towards boys, although there are some girls, definitely. I've had, I've had, I've had female superheroes yep. in my house. Yep. Absolutely. So, and, and one of the things that we know is there's an archetype that's developing at a very deep level in the DNA that comes from caveman, cavewoman days, that boys and men were really raised to be the mammoth hunters, to defend and protect. And when we, um, and that's what comes out so often, and I guarantee um, most mummies that I've ever spoken to have boys say, oh, I was never going to buy a gun, but they make them out of toast and their fingers right. and Lego and yeah because there's a part of them that needs to go into this pretend play where I'm trying to kill baddies to save goodies mm. right so that is really really absolutely healthy play and pretend um, weapons I actually one thing I did with my boys I never did actually buy them guns um they did tend to make them out of things but swords they're right into he-man at the time yeah. I bought the plastic sword because it was less dangerous at poking eyeballs out so that's the only weapon I really <laughs> I really bought now what's going on in there playing superhero play and uh, when they have their capes and they're being now, there's two things that we need to put into that sort of play is that they need to have some boundaries so that their play doesn't threaten, frighten or scare other children or hurt other children because they've got to learn it's great for you to do that, but, but some people find that really frightening. Um, second thing is that we need to make sure that there are girls doing that play. So we need to kind of involve them so it doesn't just become a gender issue because I really can tell you now that they we've got some fiercely strong um, women in our world who can show us now that that capacity to be part of that play, you know, they are saving the world at different levels. We need to encourage that. So it's not exclusively boy play. So yeah. it's absolutely important in terms of the play, as long as there's a slight boundary around it. And um, it's so funny because um, one of my boys did get some guns given to them for a birthday party. Um, and I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be able to hide that, aren't I, and get rid of that. Um, yeah, no, no, that didn't happen. Um, you know, he, he carried them with him for weeks and weeks and then really just forgot about it. So, again, if we put too much emphasis into trying to control it, you'll give it a negative kind of connotation that you don't need to give. So it's just a bit like there are lots of girls who absolutely love Barbie dolls who don't end up becoming, you know, unhealthy females later in life. We need to respect that it's just a form of play that they will move through and pass through. Exactly. And so, I mean, oh, look, I went, there was probably about six month period I, we went through where I went everywhere with Batman. <laughs> and I felt, I can tell you, I've never felt so safe. Um, at, at the same time, uh, his younger sister was ambushing me with a plastic axe that yes. she's found from somewhere. So yep. you know, she's turned out to be quite a lovely young yes. woman. So yes. I think we, you know, it, it's a, it's a phase that they'll find they'll find something anyway. They'll find stuff. So okay, what about nature play? Because this is something that we, uh, I mean, I, I've been enjoying making sure that I spend a bit of time outside working outside as much as I can just to get the light and so on but nature play for kids is such an important thing oh look it's 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 how mother nature intended our children to be and one of the things that you can notice a difference is that um you know particularly you know the boys who need a lot of movement and the girls who need a lot of movement four walls can just cram in on them 
And then if they've been using screens, we now know that that's increasing that need for movement because they're not moving as much. So one of the things I want to say to any parent listening to, if you need a break from your kids and want some screen time, put them in front of the TV. If you've got boys, they'll be still doing somersaults and farting at each other and the girls are probably colouring in, but it's there and it still does distract them and keep them entertained in a way, particularly when it's a familiar cartoon that they don't have to predict the plot. That actually is quite calming for kids. And that's why they love watching. And you've got ABC iView and stuff like that where there's no advertisement. So it's really safe. They can't find any porn in that state. And don't beat yourself up that we all need some sanity from that. Um, So going back to fresh air, is there's something to do with fresh air. There's no question that high levels of oxygen from the fresh air is good for us because the oxygen calms our brain down. Secondly, there's a natural restorative quality when we're in uh, environments where there's greenery. And it was a Victorian Dr. Katie Baggett who did the research. um, And she showed in school environments, the higher um, percentage of volume of greenery, the calmer and more restored children and staff are. So you can see there's a reason why Mother Nature works. The next one is it's not predictable. So what we have with our playgrounds that are built, all the steps are exactly the same height. And life does not turn up that predictable so mother nature turns up with everything a little bit askew um, it gives those wobbly things that you that's good for the you know proprioceptive awareness and the vestibular uh, it will give you opportunities where you can climb a little higher when you are ready to rather than it just being looking like you should just keep going without questioning it and then of course it's those sensory um receptor workovers that we get you know with you know, hot and cold. We actually have children today because they wear so many shoes and not enough time in nature. Um, they can actually stand on a footpath that's really hot and get fi- uh, third degree burns because the brain hasn't linked that information from the feet to the brain about hot. And that's why barefoot play is so important in the natural environment. They need to know what a prickle is. They need to know that's too hot, too cold, because the brain then prepares them to take evasive actions as they get older. And that's just a few of those things in that window. But I also love it that, um, you know, that's where you find bugs, you find spiders, you find stuff that is fascinating as heck. You don't find that inside when we play inside. So that's just a few of the things um that you know I absolutely love and celebrate you've got to remember too that nature play doesn't just mean you get uh logs in your playground you know like make things out of wood um because one of the things that happened with uh particularly in western Australia where the nature play movement took off like a rocket um they were you know there were schools building these lovely playgrounds and but they were all still fixed so the second part to nature is it's kind of like the best space for loose parts yeah so you can find all sorts of different things um whether you want to line up fronds from a you know a fir tree or you want to create shells and put something together so in other words there's this collectability and a put together that it absolutely honors children's capacity to be that creative autonomous play person who's you know got you know no one's telling me how to play with this and it's different every time so again I think they're the really key things and you know what you just get a cup of coffee and sit nearby, you know, yeah. and let the kids go. Um, and I, every now and then I'll run into a parent, um, a, a group of mums, I've done that quite a few times, um, who've come over to say, look, thank you, because we were all terrified for our kids and we get into this play space and we have to keep them within, you know, right in here. 
And now you said you could turn around and we can sit on a log with our coffee, look the other way. And there's this giant big tree that's sort of like about 200 metres up the playground. And we are now completely comfortable with them playing and then we can't see them. Not being seen by parents can be incredibly liberating, but you're within cooey of a blood-curdling scream. If- you, will always, you will always hear that. Yep. You know, I had, I had a, a, an aunt, well, one of my aunts, you know, she, God bless her, she's not with us anymore, but she was uh, mother to eight and uh, she said she never really got excited until she saw blood. <laughs> but I have to say, and they've all turned out okay, <laughs> you know. And, but there was a lot of free play. They were on a farm, and there was, you know, there was a lot of, you know, interesting wild sort of free free ranging play going on. But we've we've really lost that. And I like. I, I really think it's the like ouchies that. and owies yeah. now can be looked upon as though you've been a lousy parent. Yes. Yes. Whereas. It's actually not that at all. It means that child's stretching and growing and we need them to know how to manage an ouchie and know we think, you know, early on, you've obviously got to teach them about the power of a great Band-Aid and a good kiss. Um, but if we scoop them up when those things happen and make it as though something terrible has happened, then we also decrease their capacity to recover later in life. Um, and, you know, with the Olympics on, I'm watching these feisty people who've pushed themselves through massive pain and I guarantee they would have played in nature and had a few ouchies and owies. Oh, for sure. There was one, yeah, amazing stories that you're hearing about some of them. Now we've got a couple of other questions. Yep. Um, now, ladies, do you have any tips for us currently homeschooling? Mum's getting quite anxious about trying to fit it all in whilst trying to get them to have some time to go outside for a walk, etc. Okay, a really, really good one. So one of the key things to remember is stress brains don't learn well. Um, and number four on uh, Stuart Shanker's arousal states is calm, focused and alert. And that's the state we need to be in for you to work well with working from home and our kids. So we need to look at what are we doing that creates that state. And I'm going to tell you play creates that state quite naturally, whether we go outside and we do something, if it's freezing cold and if you've got boys in your house, think of what else can they do that seems like fun that discharges excess energy to make dopamine, which is what we learn with. So sometimes it's if you've got a few doorways, they have to go and do two taps on each doorway. Or if you've got a hallway, you put sort of lines down the hallway and they've got to see how fast they can jump back up and down the hallway. Those little things are called brain breaks. Um, And that actually can charge up the brain to be ready to do a block of learning some of our kids can't do more than 20 minutes tops and that's okay that doesn't mean to say that they're not learning enough now remember in our schools they're there for that long period of time but most of the day is not in active learning so I'd always focus on breaking it up into chunks Um, and I also do if you've got two parents trying to work from home designated parent one of you is a designated parent get a special t-shirt and you're the designated parent so the other one can get that really important zoom meeting done up in another area that will not be interrupted and this is the only parent you come to for the next hour and a half and then you swap your designated parents over if you can connect between those so kids want to see their parents and have some fun so morning tea lunch afternoon tea you know keep the good juices happening in those moments um and know that you we we you know schools do not expect that you're able to deliver the teachable content um they just want you to keep everybody as as wherever they are and knowing that some aspects of learning that can be turned into novelty particularly things like um you know sight words can be written on windows 
Um, you know what I mean? You can, you know, not put them all on paper. We know that color helps the brain. Uh, we know that you can find one new vocab word every day that nobody else in the family knows. So we can actually tease some exciting learning around the edges and keep breathing. Yeah, I have a whole lot of soothers uh, on my YouTube channel that can help bring everyone's stress down and that everybody every now and then needs a break from everyone else. You've got to work out how that can happen. Exactly. And if you can keep them moving while they're yep. learning too. So yep. standing you know, up, rolling on the floor. Exactly. I've had spelling games where they've been, you know, what a letter and then they run run down the end and touch yep. something like it, like or hopscotch or something like that with with all, you know, with the learning learning of some of those things that are a bit rote learned could be a little bit difficult sometimes. But yeah, lots of games and movement where you and can I think the world's got a lot um <clears throat> more friendlier about parents working from home too that you've got a zoom meeting going on no one's going to care if your kid walks in and says where's the you know whatever we just don't we're all just so much more over that we're actually recognizing this is the way the new world is at exactly. the moment. and i'm finding too that teachers i think are, are, are a lot more realistic about what's possible at home whereas they were feeling all of the pressure to provide all of this work for home they're realizing that they don't need to be as uh as structured or as um, or as um, sort of overloading anyway. Now I've got a question here about: Can you suggest a variety of loose part components for play, please? Okay, so this is why one of the things that uh, you can get from the uh, side of the road when people throw things out: um, anything from crates, uh, milk crates, um, poly pipes, um, bits of wood that don't have prickles in them uh round things so there's a few there's a few different sorts of things that get cast off at building sites that are really really good they're the simple ones and then you get conking nuts and general nuts and different bits of stick so in other words let your kids look for treasures and and I'm seriously they've got to be able to have a place to put them they're not supposed to bring them in and if you've got a boy who falls in love with a stick one yeah, stick yeah. is okay but not 55 of them so it's those sorts of things um and really just you know i have a search online you'll see there are a spectacular kind of um um loose parts things but i often find on um some of the giveaway sites that are often our communities people will be giving away things like metal bowls and stuff that you can play drums on and seriously you've got to go back to wooden spoons any of the kitchen stuff can become a part of loose parts so it's like as exciting as you know you let your kids minds go to yep fantastic. we've got some great comments here we've got people saying gum nuts yep uh, blowing bubbles yeah bubbles yep. good stuff elastics yep um, oh here's a great suggestion um nature bingo orienteering yes. problem yeah yes. treasure hunts Treasure hunts, fantastic! Yep. Oh, someone has uh, someone does have a son with a bush knife, his stick yep. yes. that he sleeps with. So yes. yeah, look, yeah. ones are, you're allowed one. Um, <laughs> they they get they can be very very attached to things like that. So be really careful before you throw the stuff out of your son's bedroom, or you could break his heart when you threw out the stick that he's he's just is really deeply in love with. Yep. So. While we're collecting all this stuff, Maggie, I'm seeing piles of stuff. <laughs> Tidiness and sort of, you know, being tidy and having the place orderly. I mean, this is not going to be conducive, is it? No. And I think <laughs> you've got to recognise if you haven't got a space like a carport or an underneath area where you can keep all this junk, um, you've really got to say, like, okay, so what size container can we keep some of this stuff in? But there are times that, 
And this is one of the hardest things for a lot of mummies that, um, you know, if you've been conditioned that unless you've got a tidy house, you're a lousy mum, which is really deep conditioning. It can come from your own mother or somewhere else. You can be really struggle when the stuff stays out. But what we know is that if our kids have got, so you can tell the difference. So if they've already got some sort of construction going on around the Duplo and Lego that looks like it's a farm or it's a building, then that may need to stay yep. yeah and you may need to keep some of the pieces around it so what you do is say if you haven't finished playing with this how about we put put some cushions around it and then we'll put the rest of it away because some of it is not going to be played again and it's become a random mess you're right with that but if you check in with your kids if is there something that you'd like to come back to that we respect that and the second thing that's really important too is some of our children um have are really passionate about certain toys dolls teddy bears swords um and i think it's really valuable in your home if you've got a few siblings to have a special box that is in their bedroom that whatever's in the special box must not be shared by anybody else without very explicit instruction and it makes it a lot safer too when when you're allowed to and other people visit your house that you can remind your child is your special stuff in your box because everything else will be able to be shared equally. So they get a sense of having boundaries around things rather than getting really upset because you let somebody come in and they've played with something that really was very special. So they're just simple things. Yeah, I like that. And, you know, I I think I lived for at least a month with a, you know, a cubby in the lounge. Yes, cubbies. Oh, my God, I always had the cubby, especially in winter. Yeah. Seriously, you know, like you can't get outside. So you can't necessarily go and build one outside. Mm-hmm. That's um, you know, like, and if anyone turns up, just say, look, you know, look, uh, memories are being made right now. So exactly. just watch and, when you walk. Yes. And, and would you like to have your cup of tea? Yes. In the cubby <laughs> with the queen. That's exactly oh, right. Exactly right. Exactly right. Now, Maggie, you've got a book out. Parental is anything. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, the podcast I do with the ABC is called Parental as Anything. And the ABC came and said, look, I think there's a book here. And I said, I'm not sure. It's all on the podcast. But then I remembered one day I forget stuff on a good podcast and think, oh, I won't forget that, but I do. So they decided to grab um, the most popular ones sort of from, you know, toddlers to tweens. And they're the key points are in there. So it has become like a guide, um, Jackie, that... Nice. Parents can dive into just to look at whether it's when, when do I talk about the birds and the bees or, oh, my gosh, the guinea pigs died. How do I manage that? Or that's a big meltdown. What am I supposed to do with that one? In other words, we've, the most popular things that parents ask, you know, we've really got them in one easy to read book. So I'm pretty stoked. And the feedback, um, we're getting that from parents saying, look, it's beside my bed. So it's not the sort of book you want to read from cover to cover unless you're really enthusiastic about reading and you've got time. But it's when I've got something going down that I think I need a bit of guidance so that I can make a decision that suits my family and uh, just with a bit of bit of support around the edges. So a nice little ready reckoner for, for those yeah. moments as they pop up. Yeah. Congrats, well, congratulations <laughs> on that because that's a, it's, it's a, it looks like it's yeah. very interesting. I loved your podcast, so I, I can't wait to dive into the book. So Thank you be so good. much. Good. <laughs> so Maggie, we have managed to chat for 45 minutes as normal. <laughs> I know, I know. 
And uh, just want to say thank you so much for for being with us this evening, and uh, and thank you on behalf of everyone else. We've got some lovely comments coming in saying oh, thank good. you, and some great references from people too. People putting up links and awesome. so uh, yeah, which is really really great. So this is it. This is the shared wisdom, folks. So yeah. well done, well done to all of you. And Maybe if you want more details on specific play, I um, I have a parenting help page on my website, which has got endless things on it that's uh if you want if you need to go and hustle your school up to possibly get some more nature play i've got all the tips on how to get that done (laughs) and so we'll we'll put that link up with the uh you know when we're emailing back out to everybody after this so maggie thank you thank Thank you for being with us lovely to have you everyone bye bye now everyone Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? Please visit the VPC website, vicparentscouncil.vic.edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sydney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening.